You're listening to Policy Currents, a weekly podcast from the RAND Corporation. I'm Evan Banks. And I'm Deanna Lee. Every Friday, we bring you new insights from RAND's latest research and commentary. Today is January 17th. Since the onset of the Cold War, the U.S. has maintained a strategic partnership with Turkey. But in recent years, as U.S. and Turkish interests have diverged, that relationship has become strained. A new RAND report breaks down some of the key challenges facing this decades-long partnership. Within Turkey's borders, democratic and civil rights have declined under President Recep Tayyip Erdogan, and Turkey's parliamentary system is transforming into an authoritarian state with a strong executive. There are also Turkey's relationships with its traditional allies and neighbors to consider. For example, Turkish policy towards Iran and Iraq will often be at odds with U.S. interests moving forward. And Turkey's relationship with the European Union has reached a low point. The authors of the report conclude that relations between Washington and Ankara will remain volatile. However, the U.S. and Turkey still have some common interests, including balancing Russia and Iran, countering terrorism, and promoting stability in the Middle East. By developing a long-term strategy, the U.S. can buffer relations with Turkey and guard against future disruptions. Air travel in America is at an all-time high. In 2018, passengers boarded domestic flights at U.S. commercial airports more than 780 million times. This number is expected to keep growing, but can the nation's airports meet the demand? To find out, RAND researchers conducted a study of airports' infrastructure needs and financial resources. This congressionally mandated report answers 21 key questions about airport funding and financing and recommends ways to help airports sustain operations in the future. One specific recommendation is to raise the cap on a fee that passengers pay when they buy a ticket. This is called the Passenger Facility Charge, or PFC, and if you've booked a flight in the last 20 years, you've probably noticed this on your receipt. The PFC has been capped at $4.50 for the past two decades. Raising the cap by $3 to $7.50 and adjusting it for inflation moving forward would provide valuable revenue for airports. Increased revenue from this change and others discussed in the report could allow airports to improve the travel experience, says study co-author Deborah Notman, although those improvements would look different from airport to airport. Quote, In some places, the investments may result in less congestion and fewer delays in and around the terminal, she says. But in others, it may simply make the airport a nicer place to transit. The U.S. education and workforce development system prepares people for work in a linear way. You go to school, you get a job, and then eventually you retire. But most careers don't look like this anymore. There's no longer just one single career path. That means we're preparing workers for a labor market that no longer exists. That's the key takeaway from a recent RAND report. To begin to find ways to address this problem, the authors imagined what the education and labor system should look like if it were built today, from scratch. An effective system, they thought, needs to work less like a career ladder, with workers climbing rung after rung, and more like a freeway with off-ramps for workers to refresh their skills, earn new certificates or credentials, and then merge back in. 
In short, workers in all industries need opportunities in learning throughout their lives, and employers, educators, and policymakers need to accommodate that new reality. This means we should be thinking about education and the labor market as one system, not two. But making this shift won't be easy. It's going to take big thinking and a lot of innovation. Here's how Lynn Carroll, one of the authors of the report, puts it: "We need to experiment with new ideas, see what works and what doesn't, to help us move toward the transformation that's needed." The old system we're still using worked for an era, she says, but now we need to revamp. America's commercial power grid supplies most of the electricity that the U.S. military uses to accomplish its critical missions, but this system is largely outside of the Pentagon's control, and it's increasingly vulnerable to both physical and cyber attacks. A new Rand report explores two strategies to deter such attacks. First, there's deterring by denial. This means removing the perceived benefits of an attack. There are a number of ways this could work. For example, investing in more power resilience measures like backup power generation or other primary or secondary power generation sources could deter an adversary. That's because it would decrease the likelihood that an attack on the power grid would achieve its objectives. The second strategy for deterrence is cost imposition. This approach involves threatening punitive action, such as legal countermeasures or a military response, to convince an adversary that the benefit of an attack won't be worth the costs. Opioid overdoses claim the lives of 130 Americans each day, and the devastating effects of the U.S. opioid crisis don't stop there. People with opioid use disorders may find it hard to take part in the workforce. Babies are born with withdrawal symptoms, and children whose parents are struggling with addiction end up in foster care. That's why Rand researchers say we need to look at the opioid crisis as an ecosystem instead of focusing only on individual aspects of the problem. This approach can help shed light on the full scope of the crisis and lead to policy solutions that have a better chance of reversing it. One of those researchers is Bradley Stein. Last month, he explained the ecosystem concept in testimony before the Senate Judiciary Committee. Stein also offered policy options for Congress to consider in response to the opioid crisis. Here he is describing one of them. One of the things we know is individuals being released from the criminal justice system are at much higher rates of overdose in the two weeks following release, twelve times what we see in other individuals. Many of those deaths come from overdose, and so the criminal justice system is an opportunity to make sure that not only these individuals receive an effective treatment prior to release, but really ensuring that those individuals are successfully linked to the treatment programs that they are going to need for this chronic disorder. Stein and other Rand experts are continuing to study what's driving the opioid crisis, how it's evolving, and how it's affecting communities across the country. So expect to hear much more on this topic from us in 2020. Rand is a nonprofit institution that helps improve policy and decision making through research and analysis. For more on what we covered this week, check the show notes at rand.org/podcast. See you next week.